X-Ray. And welcome to another edition of the Beer Vana Podcast. Hey, Patrick. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? I'm a little bit... Uh, Road, road weary, a little road weary, a little. Uh, you look a little scruffy. A yeah, little, yeah, a little bit draggled. <laughs> we'll talk about why uh, soon, but we've just come off the road, uh, doing hard work for you, dear listener. That's right, in the salt mines, as it were. <laughs> uh, we join you uh, now, as always, from the studios of X Ray FM here in the Falcon Arts Building in beautiful North Portland. This is the Beervana Podcast, and with me, as always, is Jeff Allworth author of several books, including The Beer Bible and The Weirdmer Way. Uh, and with me is Patrick Emerson, professor of economics at Oregon State University. Uh, and across from us is producer Will Romy. Hi, Will. Hi. <laughs> I don't know if you could hear that. He gave us a big holler. Yeah. Will is where we get most of our beer information from now. Yeah. Will. Uh, <laughs> at some point, we're grooming Will to take our place. Uh, so... Uh, this is a podcast to set up a bunch of podcasts. Jeff and I spent the last three days on an immersive visit to one of the most densely breweried cities in America, and also one of the fastest growing, Bend, Oregon. Bend now has a population of stunningly, and we'll talk about this, 100,000 people uh, and around two dozen breweries. It can feel a bit overwhelming, uh, but we're about to offer you everything you need to know to decode Ben. In today's episode, we'll discuss how Ben became this beer mecca, and we'll set up a series of interviews that we did of four of the most uh, interesting breweries in the city. When we get to the setting up the four of the most interesting breweries in the, in the city, we'll uh, try to give you a, a lay of the land uh, for each of those. But today, what we're going to talk about is the overall sort of scene in Bend. Um, so I'm looking forward to doing that. Yes. <laughs> But uh, before we do that, as always, we have to talk about the news. A small item from the annual reports on sales performance caught our attention. According to Brewbound, an industry news site, beer continues to very slowly expand. But by far the most robust category is hard seltzer, which grew by 23%. Yeah. Ooh. Uh, the leading brands are White Claw and Boston Beer's Truly Hard Seltzer, which of course means we'll have to do a roundup of hard seltzers soon on the pod. Yeah, right. We, I think we have to do that now. I think we do. All the breweries are making them. Yeah. No, we never did hard seltzers. We did other alcohol pops, but... Right. That was, I think it was kind of before seltzers existed. Yeah, so, really. Yeah. yeah it we was were... the first iteration of alcohol pops. That's how, that's how long this pod has been going on. It, it predates hard seltzers. Uh, that's right. Uh, hard seltzers are something that you can do with malt beverages. Yeah. And we, we heard from one person with insider knowledge a little bit of how they're made. So we'll have to try to find someone who will go on the record with that, yeah. which may be challenging. It's, yeah, it was actually pretty interesting. So, yeah, it's a kind of the dark arts of uh, brewing. So Yeah, that's our little tease. Uh, apparently, apparently, it's not the malt so much that matters. It's the other stuff you put in there. That's right. And if you if you work at, if you know something about how those are made, give us a, a holler. We'll put you on the pod. Yeah, yeah. And it's not the easiest thing. That's the other thing we learned. But that's um, right. Yeah. Well, we'll get there. So that's our tease. Look for it in an upcoming podcast. Just like all the other ones we promised. That we exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Which we've forgotten because we have terrible memories, but everyone else remembers. Uh, but you know how to remind us. We'll talk about that at the end. You can get in touch. Remind us of the stuff we meant to do. Indeed. Uh, okay, next one. All right, second item. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the price of beer fell barely uh, for the first time since 1997. The price stop drop was a tiny 0.5% on off-premise beer, that is bottles and cans, over the past six-month period uh, that the BLS tracks, but it undercuts the perception that beer prices are on a steady climb upward. And this is all beer. All beer, all in, in a, yeah, the whole beer category, not just craft beer or other things. It's a little surprising given the the, the tariff situation and the, the increasing expense of materials, but yeah, it is surprising, and uh, it's also you know there's this chatter among beer geeks, beer people who spend a lot of money at the getting the newest and latest hazies and barrel aged sours and all these kinds of more expensive beers that the prices are really getting up there. Yeah, so I mean the the. The, the mix of beers. You've got all these tiny little craft brewers that are brewing, brewing pretty expensive beers, but it's still a small part of the market. Yeah. We are seeing, uh, even in the even in the craft segment, we're seeing some tier, tiering, tiering? Can you say that? Is that a word? Is that a verb? Can I verb 
verb tense. You may. That? I allow it. All right. Uh, <laughs> we're seeing tiering, and so uh, breweries like founders are releasing all day IPA, which is in a you know a large package for pretty cheap price. Mm-hmm. And then you see on the other side the hazies that are selling for a lot of money. So it's possible that in the aggregate, because there's a lot more all day IPA getting sold than there are uh, hazies down at the tap room. So maybe, yeah. maybe that's dragging prices down. And as was mentioned to us by someone in our trip to Bend. Uh, you know, Ballast Point's sort of breaking the mold by charging $14 for a six-pack of, of IPA yeah. uh, is done. Right. So that that sort of extreme price pushing is gone. Uh, the market has is starting to speak, and, and so that's probably putting a cap on ability to price really high. As we were talking to brewers in Bend, you actually mentioned that you were surprised that price pressure, there wasn't starting to be price, price pressure with all these breweries. And yeah. so does this follow your what you would predict as an economist that part does uh what i was talking about is yeah i, I since since there's exceptional beer being made by all sorts of breweries uh-huh. uh and we know the troubles of bigger breweries in the term in terms of being uh sort of the newest latest fresh you know buzz brand uh, on the other hand they're much more efficient um and not just a little more efficient, a lot more efficient, <laughs> and so right. they they're able to to charge a much at, at a, a much more competitive price point. And I thought that um, as the evolution of the beer market evolved, that that pressure would uh, be higher than it is. Um, but we're still in this phase, maybe I don't know uh, of of um, my novelty premium. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'll, yeah. drop, I'll drop my idea again. No, it's, it's a beautiful uh, idea. Yeah, which is, you know, people are still looking for the novel and they're willing to pay for it. So I will say one other thing as a historical note. Uh, it's interesting that 1997 was the last time this happened because that was right before uh, the, the bubble burst and the craft segment went into a little bit of a recession. So yeah. that's interesting. I don't know. Maybe that's just coincidental, but also maybe something to think about. Okay. Uh, well, should we move to Bend, Oregon? Let's move. <laughs> Metaphorically speaking, um, right. I'll, I'll go ahead and continue to reside in Portland. But yes, let's, <laughs> let's, let's travel to Bend. All right. So for those uh, uninitiated in the topography of Oregon, uh, the, yeah. um, the big river that runs uh, from uh, south to north through the northwestern part of Oregon is called the Willamette River. Yeah, all uh, the, most of the rivers run uh, south to north and dump into the Columbia in, in Oregon. Which yeah, is kind of so funny. we all end up in the Columbia. Uh, and this is the big fertile valley of uh, Oregon. Uh, it's where a lot of the hops are grown. Um, and uh, it's very wet, as you might have heard tell. Yeah. But if you cross over the Cascades into central Oregon, where Bend uh, exists, it's a high desert. It's very dry. It's in the rain shadow of the Cascades. Uh, it's uh, mountainous. There's lots of uh, uh, extinct volcanoes around, including Mount Bachelor, which is a very popular place to ski. And so Bend, which was a former logging town, a little sort of out of the way, down on its heels, logging town like a lot of Oregon towns, uh, uh, has transformed itself, thanks largely to Mount Bachelor, its proximity to Mount Bachelor and other recreational opportunities, into a destination for lots of young, active people to move to. Yeah, and it used to be kind of a ski bum town where people would go uh, to to ski during the winter, and it was kind of a dead place in the summer. And now they've got a ton of people visiting Bend for summer recreation. So now it's kind of a two uh, a two season destination, and it's really going crazy. Yeah, and almost four season because those of us that are sort of suffering through the wet, extended spring uh, often jump over the mountains to get some get a little sun sun and dry out. Yeah, that's right. They often talk about, I think, 300 days of sunshine in Bend. Yeah. Uh, and I think there's maybe 100 days of sunshine in Portland right. by, by historical trends anyway. Yeah. If you if you know anything about the sort of Intermountain West, it's sort of similar to uh, Denver, for example, uh, in terms of the climate. Um, so if you're planning your beer tour of Oregon, uh, oh. first stop would, of course, be Portland. Uh, from Portland, you can drive uh, southeast three hours, essentially, and, and get to Bend. Right. It's on the diagonal from, from Portland. Bend is really, if you look at a map, Bend is kind of smack dab in the center of the state. If you draw an yep. X across from the corners, uh, it would it would line up pretty close to where Bend is. Yeah. Uh, Bend is kind of remarkable to those of us who've been around for a while. Yeah. Uh, the population has exploded. Yeah. Uh, you have some stats here. Uh, currently, the population, according to the U.S. Census in, ni- in 2018, is uh, 97.5 thousand. That's Bend proper. Right, Ben Proper. So there are uh, 
little satellite towns we can talk about in a minute, but we're talking about Bend population here. Yeah. Uh, and then, so f- sort of overall, if you include the satellite populations, we're probably talking more like 120, 130. You have here Redmond, 30,000, Prineville, 10,000, and Sisters at 2,700. Right. And yeah, so that's whatever that is, uh, 150,000, maybe, if you include, I don't know, depending on if you include Terrebonne and... Uh, yeah, Lapine, anyway. those kinds of places. Anyway, but compare that to the bend of 1980, which had 17,000. Yeah. Uh, and then it it still hadn't really started growing. By 1990, it was only 20.5,000. That's sort of when, when bend was more on my radar. Right, and that was, we'll talk, when we get to beer, that's that's when beer starts to come into things, but yeah. still. The mid-80s was when the first time I visited bend, and it was unremarkable. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, I mean it, it is beautiful. It's, it's surrounded by beauty, and so uh, as you're driving into Bend, this is interesting to note. Uh, you you look around. You're in the high desert. Depending on which way you come, uh, if you come from the north, uh, you, you drive over the high desert, and you can just see the rim of snow-capped mountains all around. And when you're in Bend, you see these snow-capped mountains all around. So it's it's actually really striking that way. Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful spot, uh, no doubt. Uh, and especially if you like that sort of dry, uh, arid climate, it's gorgeous. It's lots of scrub pine, lodgepole pine. Uh, juniper, juniper, yeah, uh, smells, you know, has that that smell of juniper. And uh, anyway, so uh, 1990, 20,000. 20, by 2000, it had grown to 52,000. Right, more than doubled in a decade. By 2010, 76,600, and now 97.5. So yeah. it is growing like crazy. It's experiencing growing pains. Yeah. The sort of close in downtown is really nice, but it's a downtown size for about a town of 30,000 maybe. Uh, and so there's a lot of sprawl in that sense, in a small town sense, a lot of sprawl around traffic actually exists. <laughs> it can be hard to get around from one point to the other. Right. Um, and we're seeing one of these kind of things you see in um, Vail and Tahoe and Sun Valley where, uh, you know, it's prized for its pristine beauty, not so many of those places. And there's this massive influx of wealth. So we're saying, yes. I, I was counting Teslas starting and just noticing all the Teslas that are all around. And yeah. And I told a story to you at the time uh, a few days ago, I'll, say, I'll tell it again very quickly, but uh, this was probably about 2007, something like that. I was in the San Jose airport uh, waiting to catch a flight back to Eugene. So I was in the little re- uh, commuter terminal uh, and uh, the flight, this was Friday evening and the flight to Ben Redmond was um, getting ready to go. And uh, the place was just completely packed with uh, Silicon Valley types, tech, techie types who've decamped to, to Bend and make Bend their sort of uh, home and then commute during the week down to Silicon Valley. Uh, and they all knew each other. And this was, you know, this was 10, 13 years ago, something like that. So uh, I think there's a lot of those types there. Very, uh, uh, So it's fairly young. It's pretty wealthy, at least the new population. Um, it's also not particularly diverse town. Right. Uh, Oregon is not a particularly diverse state, and there are historical reasons for that, uh, <laughs> shamefully. <laughs> yes. Uh, but you write down here is 93% white. Yeah. Um, so it's still a, it's still a very homogeneous town. Um, yeah, it, and I, I would say if you if you were to look at the different kind of population types there are that are there, this was a rugged pioneer town, a logging town. Um, you know, there's ranching and, and farming around. So you have old extractive industries folks yep. who lived there, uh, libertarian, seat of their pants kind of folks. Yep. Um, you have uh, recreational people there who are there for the recreation, having fun. And then you have this kind of tier of, of wealthier people who are coming in. So you have kind of all these different groups together and uh, they don't always... Um, have the same values and, and ideas about which way Ben should be going. So it's having a few of the tensions that you would expect in any city that has grown, whatever that is, uh, you know, so, sure. so fast. And as a grow, as a town that's growing so fast, you only have to be there a few years uh, as a new uh, 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 resident to start um, uh, resenting the that's right. <laughs> the influx of further new residents, uh, which we we experienced as well. Yeah, it's located on the Deschutes River. The Deschutes River flows through town. They dam it in the middle and create a little thing called Mirror Pond. Those of you who know Deschutes beer will start recognizing these names. Yeah, uh, and that that river also flows north and dumps into the Columbia as well. Yeah, and that was what powered the mills that uh, created the logging town. There are two big mills there that closed uh, in the seventies. It became a beer town, kind of. Uh, accidentally, we're going to have a deep dive into the origins of Ben beer by 
by talking to the founder of Deschutes Brewing. Right. Uh, but Deschutes came around in 1988, and we'll sort of save that story because we'll let you hear it from the source, <laughs> from the founder and uh, um, pioneer of brewing in Bend, uh, Gary Fish. And one thing we didn't really, I, I set up these interviews and thing, I didn't really anticipate, but is illustrative of what why Bend uh, is such a beery place, is that we also talked to uh, uh, Paul Arney of Ale Apothecary, who does very small batch, interesting beers. Uh, we talked to Tony Lawrence of Boneyard Brewing, who has uh, the most popular IPA in town. And we talked to Larry Sador, uh, who has who, uh, started Crux uh, Fermentation Project. And all three of those guys are alumni of Deschutes Brewery. That's right. And so Deschutes has such uh, created such a long shadow, so many, uh, trained so many talented brewers. Um, and, and unlike in some places, these people didn't want to leave Bend, so they just started breweries there. Right. Right. So it was, uh, you'll, you'll hear, it was almost an accident that Deschutes started in Bend. Uh, but since then, it really has been, uh, has created this incredibly vibrant beer scene. Uh, and we, in fact, uh, we're, we're now seeing the, the uh, I would say, the grandchildren of Deschutes. So people who worked for those other breweries, uh, uh, Crux uh, in particular, are shooting off and starting their own breweries now. That's right. We had, we, we visited one of those, which yeah. we'll talk about here in a minute. We, yeah. Which we'll talk about. Uh, so, uh, so this is our introduction to the beer scene in Bend. Uh, we've now given you the overview of what, what, what Bend is. Uh, and, um, what we're going to do, you just mentioned the, the four deep dives we're going to have. We're going to release those as special pods, uh, in, uh, subsequent weeks. Um, so this is kind of the, the pod that sets it all up. Yes. Um, what we did, we tried to travel around town. We tried to taste beer. We visited a bunch of different breweries and brew pubs, uh, sampled a lot of beer uh, to try to get a sense of what Bend is in the beer sense. Right. We're going to give the mic over to uh, John Urch, who we interviewed. We have about nine minutes of tape from John, who's going to tell us a little bit about his overview of Bend Brewing, the brewing in Bend. I shouldn't say Bend Brewing because that's actually a brewery there, but yeah. the, <laughs> the you got to be careful. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, the brewing scene in Bend and kind of how it evolved and what it's like. And it was nice to listen to somebody who lived there. He's lived there for uh, 18 months. So he's he's uh, enough of a local that he knows the scene, but he has a, an outsider perspective. So uh, and he knows the industry very well. And he knows the industry very well, which when we, I, I don't want to repeat uh, we will give the interview. So I, I give that in the interview. So we'll let, we'll turn this over to John and come back on the other side and then give our own reflections about what we saw. Sounds good. All right. Okay. We are here at Thump Coffee Roasters in beautiful Bend, Oregon. Uh, and we're with John Urch, who is uh, a friend of mine. He, what is your title again? You just told me and I've already forgotten <laughs> So I'm sales director for Diageo Beer Company. I'm the sales director for Pacific Northwest and Central West. Um, but yeah, and John I is sell Guinness. You sell Guinness, and John John is the guy who contacted me two or three years ago when I was seeking a sponsor and said, "Would you be interested in having Guinness be your sponsor?" And since that time, we've become friends, and uh, John's moved on to other things in the company. But we've stayed friends, and he has moved. Uh, to Bend, 18 months ago he moved to Bend. Before that he was living in uh, LA, New York. We go back further, it's Manchester and London. Manchester and London, yeah. yeah. Last, last four cities I've lived <laughs> were a little bit bigger than Bend, Oregon. So that's, this is a, it's a little bit of a change. That's right, so you, you actually have a broad uh, sense of what craft beer and, and brewing is like. And you also now have, at 18 months, a pretty good sense of what it's like here in Bend. Yeah. So we thought it would be great to have a local informant with a big, broader perspective give us a little background on the Bend scene, what makes it interesting and unique, uh, and yeah, just give us a lowdown. Yeah, for sure. And that's, I mean, it's my perspective. And my perspective is a little bit different in that I work in the industry, um, but I don't obviously work for a small brewery and I don't work for a brewery in Bend. Um, and I have a slightly deeper insight as well because actually my um, distributor, my biggest customer is Columbia Distributing and I often catch up with the GM of the Bend branch and he moved to Bend about a month after I did. Mm. So we're both outsiders coming in here and then he, they distribute Deschutes, Crux and a few other local breweries. Um, and it is a remarkable place. Um, I've been to 
Asheville, North Carolina, I've been to the other Portland uh, in Maine, and those are the only two places I would say are similar in terms of the density of breweries and the size of the population, which is about around about 100,000 people. Mm -hmm. um, but Bend is different, it's, it's all of its own. But you've been around and about for the last two days, so I don't want to retread old ground on what you've already covered, but it's it's interesting and unique, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've been to breweries, but we, you know, we've been to kind of the bigger breweries. Uh, not, I shouldn't say the bigger breweries. We <laughs> saw Ale Apothecary, uh, one of the small breweries. Huge, huge brewery, yeah. <laughs> Those guys are pumping out at least 60 barrels a year. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's very difficult in two days to get a full sense of a city and a scene. And, you know, we've, we've observed a few interesting things. Uh, like, it seems like as much penetration as there is in, in Portland, there are uh, opportunities Bend people have found to sell beer in weird places that uh, even in Portland they haven't yeah. figured that stuff out. So my, my observation, um, and obviously I've only been here for a short period of time, but my observation on the trend is that the key to it is that people live in Bend because they want to live in Bend. And it's quite a unique spot. It doesn't have any underlying industry or reason to be here it's just in a very beautiful place and has access to a lot of great things to do and my understanding is that the first domino to fall was Deschutes opening mm -hmm. and as Deschutes grew which we don't need to go into why that happened more and more people moved to Bend to brew at Deschutes got to wherever they were going to get to at Deschutes and then wanted to leave Deschutes but didn't want to leave Bend and so the obvious thing to do was to go and start a brewery and I think the people here have just been very accepting of that. And I don't know when in the last 20 years or so Bend became synonymous with small breweries, but when people moved here, and the population's doubled in the last 20 years, so as people moved here, it was a craft beer town and craft beer was what you did. So it was kind of a symbiotic relationship of new immigrants to Bend supporting the new breweries as they were opening. But it's, it's pretty ridiculous that 100,000 people quote unquote support 25 breweries or however many breweries there are in the in the greater metro area yeah uh, how would you characterize Bend you've been to Portland Maine and Asheville uh, have you been to Boulder I have yeah, yeah quite so a bit I often Boulder describe Bend as Boulder without the university yeah how, is it distinctive compared to those places is the beer here different is there something that makes it Bend like I think so so it's very different to Asheville and Portland, Maine, in that we are neighbors of Portland, Oregon. And you know both of you better than anyone, but Oregon, despite being pretty huge, has a, a surprisingly tight-knit brewing community. Um, and I think you feel that. Bend feels very much like a satellite of Portland. Part of the flip of that is that Bend's granddaddy brewery, Deschutes, has been for a long time bigger than any brewery in Portland or anywhere else in the state or in the Northwest. Um, so that provides a real center of gravity. But then that's cascaded into some other weird side effects, which I think give Bend an identity. And most breweries in Bend, with a few outliers like Ale Apothecary being a great example, they're, they're kind of similar. Uh, and if you go to Asheville or Portland, Maine, breweries are pretty distinct from each other. Here there's a bit of a a set of hallmarks, a bit of a template for what breweries tend to look like. Um, a great example, which we were mentioning last night, is the, the Northwest Pale Ale. Most breweries here have what they call a Northwest Pale Ale, which was inspired by Deschutes Red Chair. Um, Larry Sador, who you met, invented Red Chair, so he kind of created that. But it's become mandatory for a brewery here to have a Northwest Pale Ale on tap, and it's kind of weird if you don't. And what is that? What is a Northwest Pale Ale? As far as I can tell, uh, it's like an old school Oregon IPA, but generally with a lower gravity. So they, they seem to be around about the five, five and a half percent mark. Quite piney, um, relatively heady, heavy uh, malt bill, a little bit red and rustic-y. And uh, a great example is a 10 barrel called cool, cool Trail Beer. It's, it's beer for drinking out when you're camping, when you don't want to be getting through a six and a half, seven percent ABV IPA, but you do want something with a good, fresh wildernessy type hop profile, which they seem to have. <laughs> uh, and they're good, they're great beers. I always have at least one in my fridge for sure. Ah, all right. So what's interesting is that if there's so many breweries for such a small town is that they, they all kind of uh, congregate in, I don't know, uh, the middle, I suppose, with a very similar 
lineup of beers rather than really trying to distinguish themselves and set out why what why do you think that is so much for exporter it's uh, yeah and I, I think it ties back to what we were talking about at the hand in hand what the customer's expectation is and how the breweries want to do their thing but the, the core lineup of let's say crux sun river 10 barrel and the shoots they're not yeah that distinct from each other and then smaller breweries like Immersion or Good Life or Worthy, again, like they've, they've all got interesting beers, but their core tends to be quite similar. And I think it's just because that's what people are looking for. Right. Plus, a huge factor is Bend now has something crazy, like two million tourists come through it every year, Right. whether it's for skiing in the winter or camping and backpacking in the wow. summer. And so you have to cater to that crowd. And you, don't point, just, yeah. you don't just see that at the, the breweries, but the restaurants, very similar deal. It's, um, you know, they are set up for tourists visitors to come in and that's what supports their business yeah yeah that's an amazing stat i had no idea <laughs> yeah. two million is huge and every brewery here at boneyard just joined the club but every brewery has a full food service tasting room most a couple of them have multiple locations so that the the backbone of a lot of the breweries here is that they will have a, a restaurant-like experience that right. people will come and, and spend time at all right, well, I think that's a good overview. We can take it from here. Thank you, John. Great to see you. I hope you guys had fun in Bend. It's, um, it's a magical place magical place to be and spend time, that's for sure. It does yeah. please me to see that you've already become uh, <laughs> so embedded here and so what defensive I, of uh, your, your new hometown. I, I called myself the Bend Defender last night, but yeah, <laughs> I, I'm a big, I'm a very passionate advocate. It's a, it's a really cool town. Yeah, yeah. The, secret, the secret's out, that's for yeah, sure. It sure is. <laughs> I think that's safe to say. All right, well, cheers. No worries, cheers. Thank you. So thanks to John Urch for spending a few minutes with us, giving us his impressions. Yeah. Uh, it was actually really good. We talked to him at the end, and he said something that sort of made the shoe drop for me. Uh, I was trying to sort of put my finger on uh, how I would characterize the Ben Beer scene. And to a large extent, I think he's right that there is kind of a template driven by the uh, tourist culture or tourist economy in Bend, which is huge. Yeah. No, we didn't really talk about, I mean, we talked about how people come to live there because of the outdoors, but it's also this massive tourist destination. We talked about the seasonal plus the off season tourist. Uh, it's big, it's big. And we talked, we talked to Boneyard. Uh, they finally succumbed to opening a pub largely because it's sort of what you do. But so what we, what we found, we visited uh, a number of pubs that started to look really familiar to me. So we visited Sun River Brewing on their Galveston pub. We uh, visited uh, Ten Barrel on their West Side location. Good Life, Good Life, yeah, was an, was another one. The Crux Pub uh, was another one where the scene, the setting, the the decor was very similar. And we didn't go to Worthy, but I'll throw that in there because I've been to Bur uh, Worthy fairly recently as uh, well. Okay, so, yeah. yeah, another one. So a lot of sort of like hardwood attached to industrial metal kind of furniture and decor and uh, it all felt very similar. The beer lists were all very similar in terms of the, the range of beers they were offering, just like John said. So Northwest Pale and an IPA and a Hazy and um, and uh, even the menus were pretty were pretty sim similar. Mm -hmm. So there's clearly sort of a, a template out there that, that people are reproducing to uh, sort of... Uh, appease the the tourists and we didn't and the other one we'll throw in there is uh the original deschutes pub which is a little bit different in decor because it's been around longer but you would argue that sort of maybe was the one that set the template <laughs> that's right and it's interesting that's a that's a fact i hadn't we hadn't talked about this or but it just reminds me that uh there's another deschutes brewery pub in portland yes and those two have really diverged yes the portland pub has a very different tap list than the deschutes one does the deschutes one looks very much like that template whereas right. the portland one looks like a, a port, much more portland template it's much more diverse more experimental beers more interesting kind of uh you know experiments and offbeat uh, and also more traditional beers, uh, you know, from different traditions, uh, Bavarian pilsners and those kinds of things. Yeah. And so I, as an economist, I think it's really interesting. And that's why I said the shoe drop, because I think it suddenly sort of made sense to me what happened. You know, there's this template out there. It's what it's what sells. It's what the tourists particular want. It's also what locals know. So that reinforces <laughs> it. Uh, but it's sort of what has been able to generate the first sort of big boom in expansion in breweries is that if you follow this template, you're going to find an audience. You're going to find customers. Yeah. I, 
so my big thing is beer is culture. Mm-hmm. I talk about this all the time uh, on the blog, especially. And uh, in in my theory, there's this communication that happens between a, a brewer and a and the, the community of people who drink beer, and it goes back and forth until uh, there's this equilibrium where the type of beer getting made is is uh, something that both the brewers and the the drinkers settle on. And so you end up with Kolsch's in Cologne, and you end up with uh, Cascale in London, and and uh, Svetli Pivots in Prague, and so on and so forth. And this was fascinating to me to see this happening in Ben because it is a perfect example of the the evolution of culture. So mm-hmm. you you have all these you know it, it's a very specific set of circumstances that created this kind of template that yeah. functions in Bend, uh, and it's different uh, here in Oregon. We have several beer cities. Uh, we have Portland, but we also have Eugene, Hood River, Astoria, and they all look different than Bend. Bend is really developed into its own thing. That template only exists in Bend. Yeah. And it's really fascinating because of these circumstances that this has all kind of come together. So it's fascinating culturally. Yeah. A couple other sort of more minor notes that I also noticed was they're still uh, following a, a, what I would say for Portland standards, a slightly antiquated uh, IPA regime, they're often uh, pretty high ABV. Yeah, a lot of seven point something IPAs, high sixes. In Portland, we've definitely come down. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So that's interesting. Sort of, uh, and the flavor profiles, I would say, are uh, from a few years ago and from the Portland sense. Way fewer hazies. Way fewer hazies. Way fewer hazies. Yeah, that that's getting there though. They're they're all starting to to get on that hazy train. But when we went to Ten Barrel, it was so funny. We we looked at the menu and there was a beer called Cloud Water or Cloud something, Cloud <laughs> Cloud Burst. Burst. Yeah. yeah. And we assumed that that was going to be the hazy. It was the one it was the one IPA that was that was uh, that we were not familiar with and we knew the others and they were not hazies. And so we asked about it and said is that a hazy? And it turns out no, it wasn't a hazy. It was just, it was just named like a hazy. So they didn't have a single hazy at, yeah. at Ten Barrel. Probably the other brew, uh, brew pub they did, but um, at the main brewery. Uh, oh, the other thing that was interesting is that, you know, the growth has been so robust that most of these breweries, I think Crocs, Ten Barrel, uh, I don't know the history of Sun River, but started off as a little brew pub and then and then now have big production breweries on the inner side of town. Yeah, a huge number of them. When we were standing in the parking lot of uh, Boneyard, Tony Lawrence was gesturing kind of toward the horizon that we couldn't see because of our buildings. And he said, but essentially into an industrial park, right? Right. With a bunch of big buildings. And he said, you know, Crux is over there and Ten Barrels over there. And yeah. He named, I don't know, a half dozen breweries. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. uh, Uh, Which is interesting. That's different than Portland as well. So the the amount of uh, demand from this tourist economy, uh, I think, allows them to grow, allowed them to grow big quickly. Yeah. I mean, I do think there's a, a Bend brand and it's also selling part of, I mean, uh, they're, you know, just the quick numbers, uh, Deschutes makes 300,000 barrels. Uh, Boneyard makes 30,000 barrels. I think Crux makes 20,000 barrels, something like that. You know, you start adding these things up and you're talking about way more beer than is being drunk in Bend. Yeah, yeah. So that's a, that's a big export trade as, as well. Yeah. So of the of the sort of lineup that I uh, gave you, the Sun River 10 Barrel, Good Life, and Crux, I would sort of all kind of throw them in. And you can also talk about the Deschutes Bond Street Pub, the original one, and, and uh, um, uh, what was the other one you mentioned? Worthy. Uh, Worthy, thank you. Um, I I would you know I haven't visited Worthy but I would uh, probably uh, say that my personal favorite was Crux Pub. I felt yeah. I felt like it had slightly different vibe. It had sort of a lawn. It's a little harder to get to. It's kind of in its own little pocket. Yeah, and it's weirdly much. I, I haven't been to Crux in maybe three years, and they've cut off the 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 road that you used to be able to get to it. So there's a really squirrely way you have, you have to, to get around roundabout way to get there. But yeah. when you get there, it definitely has a vibe that I I found was slightly different. The decor inside fairly familiar. Yeah. But it had a big lawn. It had a big fire pit. Uh, long tables um, where you could sit uh, and um, uh, you know be with. Uh, uh, other parties or next to other parties as well. And we were there at a, on a Monday late afternoon. It was packed. I mean, people are finding their way there. Yeah. Uh, so I would say that that's the one that kind of stood out to me just in terms of atmosphere environment. Yeah. Uh, I, I I enjoyed that. I agree. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I will say that the 
uh, Ten Barrel Pub that we went to, which was not the original brewery, was also incredibly nice. And it was clearly, I mean, we should acknowledge that pub was built by Anheuser-Busch and they had a lot of money. And so they were able to really trick it out. Yeah, but I was confused by that. And I, that's, I guess, additional research. But because uh, I understood that that was the original brewery site. Oh, uh, maybe so. Th- there is no brewery there anymore. One of us should have done some research. One of us should have done some research. Anyway, they have a big, <laughs> a big old brewery on the east side of town with uh, with a big pub attached as right. well, That's which right. is which is proximate to all these other ones we just talked about. That uh, Tony Lawrence at Boneyard. You might, you might be right. In in any case, it was, it seemed to be very posh in its way. It was, I mean, it was you know, brewery posh, but it was very posh. I mean, the. They had the single heaviest chairs I've ever encountered. Those chairs, <laughs> those, those things were, <laughs> those things were a ton. I was feeling for the uh, for the wait staff who probably at the end of the day, every at closing time, have to have to put those chairs up on the tables. I mean, those things must have weighed fifty pounds. Totally, they're probably really burly. It's good workout, but it's uh, but it, it's indicative. I think we saw this essential aesthetic everywhere, which is you know heavy old wood. Uh, hardwood yeah. uh, bolted onto this like super industrial steel, gray steel frames uh, was kind of the way that most people were doing it. Yeah, I think it really, and, and uh, those chairs in particular, and we saw this elsewhere, had uh, rough hewn saw marks on them, which, you know, was. I don't. I don't think it was reclaimed wood, but um, it really cast back to the logging past. I think yeah. is what was going on. So it's interesting. As an economist, it's interesting because there's a couple of different competing theories in economics about how you want to find your market. So there's two things you can do. You can all sort of uh, collapse onto a middle, sort of the middle ground where you get the most. You all have access to the most customers, uh, and then there's the opposite strategy of trying to carve out a little niche for yourself. Right. And I would say in Portland, what we see is much more of the latter. Right. Uh, you ca- everyone wants to sort of establish a reputation for something unique and yeah, have some kind of special aesthetic, different no, beers. Very few generalists anymore. Yeah. Although uh, lots of uh, breweries do, you know, even if they're sort of known as an IPA house, they'll have a Pilsner now in Portland. So that's sort of, right. they're diversifying in terms of beer, but definitely they're trying to sort of come out with their own aesthetic, their own brand. Uh, whereas in uh, Bend, as we just talked about, they're kind of all competing for the middle. And it's probably because the middle was so fruitful so bountiful yeah uh but just now yeah as i'm talking about sort of maybe the grandchildren one we know is a grandchild but i don't know the other ones just now i think bend is starting to see that trend of people trying to sort of stake out a different uh, identity and territory yeah so let's talk about those cool places yeah so the first one we visited and we'll have the deep dive into is the ale apothecary and it's so different that it probably uh, we should just save that for later, but, right? But we'll just say he's not doing. <laughs> he's not making big hazy IPAs no. on the industrial in the industrial part of of Bend. Uh, that's a fascinating story. Yeah, uh, and then some a little more sort of mainstream. There was uh, Boss Rambler, uh-huh. uh, alumni of Crux. Right, I'm getting so, that right. Yeah, so that was a third generation. Somebody who worked at Crux. Yeah, and there Grand, and Larry Sador, who founded Crux, had worked to shoot. So we're talking about uh, the grandchild, the grandchild of the tree. Of the shoot. Yeah. Uh, so that that tasting room, look, the aesthetic was entirely different, and sure. the lineup of beers was quite a bit different. Very modern, uh, experimental, uh, open, colorful. Yeah. They had four packs of colorful hazies. Yeah. Uh, so very kind of uh, 2019. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, there was Porter Brewing. Yes. Which, which is up in in Redmond, north of Bend. Yeah. So that's like a 20 minute drive from Bend, you get to Redmond, but you go, uh, if you, if you get to Bend through the sort of most popular route, which is over Mount Hood from Portland, you got to go through Redmond. So if you're going to Bend from Portland, you need to stop <laughs> to this little place called Porter. It's not easy to find. You got to Google it. <laughs> uh, but in this little industrial park is this little brewery called, uh, Porter Brewing. And uh, they're focusing on very traditional English ale. They only have cask engines. They don't have anything other than cask. Everything is cask. Yep. Nothing's forced carbonated. Uh, it's all from cask. Very traditional recipes, in fact. Even though they're uh, next door to a artisanal maltster. Right, um, at Mecca Grade. At Mecca Grade. They source their malt from England. Yeah, Fawcett, uh, which does uh, four-malted Maris Otter, which is what they use. Yeah. Uh, and um, it's a it's a small place. It's just a tasting room. Next door is a there's a barbecue cart that serves 
Pretty Excellent. darn good food. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent barbecues. Uh, I'm going to start raving about the whole experience. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Porter's making really, really good traditional beer served on cask. Just lovely. Yeah, we should talk. We didn't. We kind of glossed over uh, Boss Rambler, but you had one of the beers that you like uh, quite a bit there. Yeah, well, so we'll we'll, we'll circle back. Okay. Uh, uh, I, I thought to, to some of the beers because okay. there's some beers you're, I want to still overviewing. I'm I want to mention stepping on your uh, well, it's you your, your jam here. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ride. All right, uh, you I'm, go. I'm starting to yeah. My salivary glands are going with my porter experience. As you know, I'm a big fan of English Cascales. Yeah. As are you. We we when we got wind of porter, we knew we had to stop. It was it was and certainly it going to happen. Doesn't really have a buzz. People mentioned it here and there, but it's still pretty small. It's still pretty small, pretty but new. I, I did. Uh, it's a it's a husband wife team, and uh, I asked about, and they're working in the pub. Yep. And I asked about uh, whether they're finding an audience. And said, yeah, they're they're definitely finding uh, people there. They're ed- they've had to educate people because no one knows what cask beer is, especially right. in Redmond, which is a smaller, much more uh, rural, much more of that old central Oregon uh, community, mm-hmm. which gives them an opportunity to just, they have people who know less about beer in the first place, so then they can, they're starting with a little bit more of a blank slate, they don't have to climb over people who want hazies. Yep. And uh, he, he told me that they were actually turning over kegs, or casks, I'm sorry, in uh, three or four days, which is really nice. Yeah. Uh, um, I also asked if he was uh, doing the the spile and the open air cask, and he said, "Nope, no, he was no, putting no. he was putting a blanket of CO two on Which there to make good. sure." Yeah, <laughs> not camera. Approved. Camera folks don't listen, but yeah, it's let the, me tell you, it helps preserve the beer. Right? It's the smart way to go. Yeah. So, uh, and and they of course the beers were in perfect shape. They weren't at all sour, which is what would happen if you had a four four yes. day old. Uh, cask bitter exposed to air so yeah he was making the good call uh yeah so so let's talk now about the beer we liked and then uh, just one other that we didn't go to which is monkless and they're doing belgian oh ales. yeah i think that was the one i was trying to trying to come up with yeah so yeah. monkless is a new brewery in town uh one of the ones that tony talked about as being nearby right and he's doing he or she doing belgian ales they doing belgian ales um and so another sort of brewery trying to stake out its own little own little identity Right. And, and Belgian ales, by the way, are are not common in no in Bend at all. Yeah, less way less common than they are here in Portland. Yeah, uh, so it's not kind of the standard lineup. The standard lineup, by the way, John talked about it. You know, a Northwest Pale, an IPA, now maybe a hazy IPA. Um, quite a few had kind of like a house lager. I would say, yeah, there's a range of. Uh, hoppy American ales. Yeah. So, you know, you'll have uh, a pale or two and an IPA or two and a, you know, maybe like a session IPA or something like that. So there's, mm-hmm. that's pretty typical for the Northwest, fair, fair range of, uh, of hoppy beers. Right. Yeah. And I'm trying to think, uh, yeah, I think there were some lagers and there were some, there was often uh, something in the sour spectrum. Yep. Yeah. Uh, usually a kettle sour. Something okay. in the fruity spectrum, sometimes right. like a fruited wheat beer or something yeah. like that. Oh, yeah. that's right. And another big trend there is, and we talked about this a few, a few pods ago, is the the American Hefeweizen, and the, the American wheat beer. Those right. were those were quite common. Yeah, yeah, they were. So they, they survive in Bend. Yeah, so some of the ones that stood out to me, uh, yes. uh, in no particular order, by the way, <laughs> maybe in the order that we visited, uh, uh, Ten Barrel, which actually this is your choice. Uh, Ten Barrel had this thing called Tabernacle Pale, four percent, yeah, pale ale, but uh, uh, sort of very um, aromatically hopped. Uh, yeah, you you had more of it than me, so you should probably talk about this one. <laughs> yeah, it was a. I mean, it was more like a session IPA in that it had uh, less malt base than uh, a, a typical pale would because it was only four percent, and it was really all about the hops. It was all about the the aromatic uh, kind of fruity to floral hopping, and it was, but it was very nice and sessionable strength. Which, uh, when when you're doing a, a hike through many different breweries, as Patrick and I were, uh, that was a yeah. You yeah you'll notice a theme. Yes, yeah, so those eight percent IPAs were not getting a lot of attention from us. Yeah, so. we can't tell you too much about the lineup of IPAs in uh, in Bend, Oregon. Yeah. Anything else at Ten Barrel that you particularly? Uh, stood out to you? They had the pub beer that they, I had, which was a real sort of standard, like American lager. 
They, which I quite liked. Yeah, it was good. Uh, the beer that we thought was a hazy, we got a taster of, yeah. and it was it was surprising to me because it was uh, quite bitter. It had a fair malt bill, and it was really like, you know, a, a, a circa two thousand IPA. And yeah. I, I assume it's selling well. You know, it's this it's a kind of beer that you would not find very often in Portland. I don't think it would have much of an audience. Yeah, and by the way, we you know they're they're big enough and well funded enough. Uh, <laughs> Uh, that I, you know, we only visited the one, we, we visited the West Side Pub, but the, the East Side Pub, which is attached to their brewery, is big. But uh, from a casual glance, it looks like the, the tap lists are quite different in the two places, oh. which is kind of cool. That is interesting. Uh, and that's what money gets you. Yeah. What are you implying? <laughs> Nothing. Uh, I let people decide for themselves. Uh, you insinuate, they decide. Yeah. Uh, we should probably say that they're bought by... Anheuser-Busch. So right. One of the first. That's why. The, the baby We've also been on record that I'm I'm not terribly bothered either way. Yeah. Uh, but some people are. And so, you know, vote we, we vote we have eat. Yeah. Uh, Good Life Brewing was kind of nice. It's it's a little bit uh, tucked away and in, in kind of a kind of a commercial slash industrial. They've got their brewery on site. So it's kind of a brew pub, but it is a production brewery. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they had this thing that's apparently their bestseller, but I never had called Sweet As, which is a funky thing. It's a wheat beer, it's, but clear. It's one of those, yeah, it's kind of like in that American IPA thing. Or yeah. I mean, American and thing. Well, sort of, except it's like aggressively hop with sort of South Pacific hop, so it's very sort of tropical and... and it wasn't aggressively hopped. It had like 23 IBUs, man. For, well, for a, but I mean, for a wheat beer, it's got super hop character. Yeah, we agree to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. Uh, not let you know much about beer, so don't. Yeah. <laughs> it's six percent. It's kind of a hefty beer. Yeah, that was. You're right. They were stronger beers there. Yeah, uh, and it. But I really liked it. Uh, I had not had it before, and apparently it's their flagship. Right. Uh, and I give it a big thumbs up. Yeah, uh, I, 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 I. The beer that I liked there was a beer that was made by the uh, the one of the founders who had died two years ago. There were still a few beers left that oh, yeah. he made um, that had been in the barrel program. They had a Flanders Brown, uh, which I had, which was quite nice. And um, it was one of the ones made by him. And so it was a poignant beer to drink. Yeah. Uh, Crux, both was a great uh, evening. And by the way, Larry took us there and, and treated us. And that was... Uh, Thanks. Yeah, Larry <laughs> but, and I. But I, I feel like I gotta say it. Full disclosure, you know, this was a free beer. This one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but nevertheless, they—he's uh, got free. Uh, it's a very good price. He's there got a lager called What the Fuggle, right? Uh, which is fantastic. We we were all loving that one. Yeah, uh, and you should explain the sort of provenance of that. Yeah, so uh, we'll, we'll, we talk to Larry about this in the pod, so I don't want to step too much on it. But he used to work for uh, the Olympia Brewing Company, and he had access to their brewing logs and. Uh, this beer is based on, or uh, a close, as close an evocation based on the ingredients he could get, uh, as uh, uh, a beer that Olympia made in the like 1870s or something. Right. So yeah. it's kind of a kind of a standard lager with a bunch of fuggle hops. It's really yummy. Yeah. <laughs> and that precipitated a probably hour long discussion between Larry and I about the old days, which was nice. It was like old man time. <laughs> it was. I just stood and watched. Yeah. And, and and Patrick's son was along with us. And I think that he probably thought that was terrible. But what can you do? Sorry. Uh, you hang with the old people. Sometimes they talk about the old times. Yeah. No, I think that's that's part of the part of the experience. Yeah. No, I think he, he loved it. So, yeah. So that was Crux. What the Fuggle was was my choice. Yeah, I, I had a. I, it was my choice too. It was amazing. I had a, an all Sabro beer, which was fascinating. Cause I, oh yeah, that was where we had that one. Yeah. It really expressed the Sabro hop. It totally did. Which and is a wild and funky hop. I, I really like it. Yeah. But, but it's 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 got a lot of character. Let's put it that way. We had a beer later that had uh, Sabro in it with something else, and I can't remember where we had that. And it it turns out that it's better if you add a, another a note or two. Uh, the Sabro hop is. I want to say Boneyard. Was that right? Might have been Boneyard. Huh. No, I don't think it was Boneyard. Okay. Well, I don't know Boneyard. where it was. Never mind Boneyard. <laughs> um, it was. Um, it had a lot of coconut in it, but it had kind of a woody quality. Oh, I know. It was Deschutes. It was at Deschutes. Okay. And it gave us a taste of that Deschutes. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. It was. It was. It was an interesting hop. So I think it has a lot of potential and character, but it is like so many of those new age hops. Not really. It needs to be blended. It's just got. It's, it's too particular to go on its own. Yeah. So I would say the crux one was fascinating because you just you learn everything you need to know yeah. about the hop in that glass yeah, uh, and it's really nice but then the Deschutes version that 
that sort of dealt carefully with oh, the that's hop. Right. Now I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah right. uh, it was really nice. Yeah, it like, was. I think they put a little citra in it or something. Yeah, and really brightened it up. Yeah, I don't know that. I, don't, I think that might have still been an experimental beer. I'm not sure if that's getting close to. Yeah, it was finding its way to market, but uh, they're they're dialing it in. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and then the Boss Rambler was interesting because it was a kind of eclectic beer board. Obviously, trans. Uh, they were already they, it was they were flipping over kegs so fast, and each keg was different that they were they couldn't even keep up on the on the uh, on the menu. Yeah. But I had this one which I sort of picked, thinking I uh, it was uh, I was sleepy, it was hot, I didn't want anything too big. Uh, I found this thing called the Lager Fresca, a lager with a bunch of very modern hops. And there was actual fruit in it, wasn't there? And I think there was actually fruit in it. Yeah, yeah. pineapple and something. Guava. Guava, maybe. And I thought this is gonna be terrible. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, honestly, I just thought this is gonna be this is gonna be terrible. I'm gonna hate this. But you know, let's give it a try anyway. Uh, and absolutely the opposite. It was yeah. a really delightful beer. They had it was um, uh, uh, really fruity on the nose uh, and on the palate, but not sweet. Uh, very, it was dry and light. Um, really, really accomplished beer, I thought. Yeah, Boss Rambler is a cool brewery. It looks kind of like an ice cream shop. Um, yeah, that's a good, yeah, that's a very good uh, description of it. And in fact, the main sign on the road is a big binocular that says Beer Club, and the Boss Rambler logo is more on the building. It's a little bit confusing at first. Yeah, it's true. It's a fun place to hang out. There's a big outdoor seating area, and you can uh, uh, order from the bar from the outside, and there's nice chairs, brightly colored chairs. And inside, it's actually quite brightly colored, too. What was it? color i'm not so good with colors as you know anyway. well the, the the decor is entirely white stark white but then the furniture it was as i recall maybe yellow and blue yeah like uh yeah like it's a, fun and useful and the people there were fun and youthful and and uh, i had a hazy which was great so it was it seems like uh all their i think all their beers were eclectic i don't think they had you know like a yeah a franconian um a keller beer or anything like that if you were that's not the place to go for one of those kind of beers yeah uh so that uh, gives you kind of a good roundup of the places we visited, uh, save for the the deep dives we're going to do and the on the um, uh, the pod specials. Yeah, with and I f- think yeah, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say with the four breweries and uh, brewers that um, we mentioned in the beginning. Which and, and I do think, I'm sorry, no, let me just add to please. that. I do think it, those will help uh, kind of round out everything we've talked about because you get a, a bigger sense of how they think about beer when you talk when you hear those four folks talk about. Yeah, beer. this is a slightly awkward pod because there's a lot of stuff we know is coming. Yeah, we're trying to we're trying we're trying not to step all over. That's the, right. Yeah, the future stuff. The good stuff's coming. Uh, the good stuff is really coming. These I, I have to say. So just to just to plug our own pods, uh, four incredibly fascinating conversations with four incredibly different perspectives, different types of breweries, different approaches to the market, different approaches to beer. Right. Selected try to try to accentuate what the range you could find there and kind of the different thinking. Yeah. So uh, uh, we haven't really talked about sequencing, but I imagine we're going to start with the uh, the where it all started. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. So probably Gary Fish next probably, week. So probably what we'll do is release release the Gary Fish interview into shoots. Talk about the shoots. Uh, I would expect the next thing we might do is talk about Larry Sador and Crux, uh, because he was sort of the first offshoot that, that started up, uh, and then Tony Lawrence at Boneyard. Sure. Uh, I'm I'm setting the agenda for us right now. I guess now, so. As speak, you're you're, you're as programming speak. it. This well, to me, it makes complete logical <laughs> sense. Uh, Tony Lawrence is a fascinating story about how he got his brewery together, and I mean that literally. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, there's a reason it's called Boneyard. Uh, and then Ale Apothecary, which is just a super cool standalone story of a very unique guy in his brewery. As a tease, there we'll say his mash tun is a wooden barrel. More to come. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that got Will laughing. That's, that just tells you how weird that is. <laughs> that's, that's right. Uh, and uh, hollowed out log is going to be his cool ship. So. That's right. So we could, we'll say no more, but that's going to be a good one. So we'll, we'll end off on a really strong note there. All right. So we've talked about a lot of places we've been. We've talked a lot, a lot of beers we liked. But now it's time to, to put your money down, lay your, lay your cards on the table, and uh, let's talk about Beer Sherpa. If All you're right. going to recommend one beer that you got to go find in Bend, what's the one that you tried that you th- you're going to send people towards? I'm going to go for the uh, What the Fuggle at Crux. Ah, uh, yes. I think uh, it, for, for a couple of reasons. One, it 
highlights uh, Larry's long uh, involvement in brewing, which goes back almost 50 years here mm-hmm. in, in the Northwest and connects to this much older tradition in brewing in the Northwest. He's also really into uh, lagers. He's been brewing lagers that whole time. So yeah. he knows a lot about lagers. And then uh, it's just a fantastic beer. So I, th- I would say go in there. They're, I think their flagship is, the, is a lager, uh, their pills. So it's a great. Um, which is also really good. It's, it is very good. Um, so it's a great beer, and I think it, it tells a story about uh, the Northwest and about that brewery. So yeah, and it also sends out. you to, as as I said, my favorite of the of the pubs we stopped at, or of the restaurants, whatever, brewery, brew pubs, pubs, restaurants, anyway, uh, which was the crux. I, I enjoyed hanging out there most. Yeah. So so do that. All right. My Sherpa, uh, big surprise. <laughs> sends Shock you, us, Patrick. <laughs> sends you to Redmond, Oregon. Uh, they actually have a lot of good beers. Yeah. Um, I really, all the three beers we uh, uh, we tried were a porter, a very traditional porter, which was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, a blonde, which we were very curious about, didn't know what to expect, but... Uh, came off extremely well. Very, very nice beer. There's a beer very much like it that's brewed in the UK that's called a, a summer ale, and I would say it's very much like it. If, 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 if you were selling that in England, you'd call it a summer, summer ale. ale. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but my favorite, of course, <laughs> is the was the Best Bitter, which I think is just a very accomplished version of a traditional English Best Bitter, full of mar- malt character, great mouthfeel, uh, really nice... Uh, um, expression of, of hops. If I were going to homebrew it, I would have overhopped it because I'm crude that way. Right. <laughs> I've thrown in an extra pound of East Kent Golding or something. Uh, but he's uh, very restrained, very nice, uh, uh, a best bidder. And I'll say one last thing, just as a reminder to all you people who are not, uh, don't have your own podcast or blog. <laughs> um, we did not say who we were. And we just expressed a lot of interest. And then right before we were about to leave, we said, hey, can we see your brewery? They had no no idea who we were in there. They said, yeah, absolutely. Check out the brewery. So I get I get to see breweries all the time. Patrick gets to see them almost as much as I do. And uh, they roll out the red carpet because we, you know, we write about blog. We, we write about and, and podcast about beer. But you can see breweries and you can have the brewer show your show you breweries if you just ask. So do that because it really is fun and you can see a lot more about the brewery. Yeah. The uh uh, honestly, their names escape me at the moment, but the hub- husband and wife team that, that are Porter Brewing, uh, incredibly nice, gracious, uh, friendly people. So do do stop by. Don't 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 cruise through Redmond on your way to Bend or out from your way uh, from Bend without stopping. Really, it's it's worth your time. Yeah, and at a pint that's like four percent, you know, you can have a pint on your way down. It's no problem. That's right. A good point. Yeah, uh, which is what I did. Yeah, uh, and the barbecue next door is is really good. They'll deliver it to you right in the pub. True, good fries and uh, onion rings to boot. Oh yeah, it was also good. Actually, I, <laughs> I could go on about in uh, well in our other pod barbecue today. Right, we'll, we'll talk. We'll talk about there <laughs> the barbecue next door. Uh, let's just say that 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 you should also not stop at Porter and. Uh, you should not uh, fail to get the barbecue if you're going to stop at Porter. Agreed. Okay. Uh, mailbag time. All right, mailbag. Um, a couple of pods ago, we were talking about the pronunciation of Hefeweizen. We had a pedantic uh, correction or speculation about how to pronounce Hefeweizen. Okay. I spoke to uh, a native German, uh, Tobias Hahn, who is one of the co-owners of uh, Rosenstadt here in Portland. Oh, yeah. Um, and then uh, Alan Taylor also called me up to talk about this. So <laughs> apparently both podcast listeners, and they both had big opinions about uh, how to pronounce Hefeweizen. Uh, Alan Taylor is married to a German, was trained in Germany. His children speak German at home. Pretty smart guy. Uh, they both said, no, there's no schwa, which was part of the, the correction. Um, and it's Hefeweizen is a totally... Uh, fine pronunciation. Uh, Alan said, if you want to get into the really deep weeds, that second E, hefe, is pronounced like the E in less, uh, 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 as opposed to hefe, the kind of, yeah, hefe, <laughs> as opposed to the uh, that Western Americans give to it. Weisen. Yeah. So, um, or, but not hefe. Right. We all agree on that. And yes. then I don't understand. What's the schwa? The schwa was the the, um, the 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 original commenter was talking about schwas and all these things. And, oh, okay, and uh, it was forget about, not, forget yeah. about schwas. It was it's a, it's a schwa. This is what we're having right now is a pedantry war uh, <laughs> among among pedants, and we're just <laughs> can I just call it wheat beer? We're just officiating. Yeah, that's the okay, way thanks. to go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> German wheat. Yeah, damn Germans. Just use the English. 
it's going to be the, the world's language soon anyway. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. This is a long one. So, Jason, uh, uh, am I supposed to read the stuff in in uh, in italics? Yeah, man. We've talked about this. That's the context. You read the stuff in the italics, and then you quote. The quote comes after the quote. Uh, okay. Jason quotes the founder of Alameda after its failure. Uh, talking about the fickleness of beer drinkers and citing Ten Barrel with contempt. Uh, we talked about why you might think of, of Ten Barrel with contempt because of AB. Jason continues, uh, quote, when I talk to people that enjoy and drink ca- craft beer, they aren't submitting ratings or chasing after whales. They don't even know who owns Ten Barrel. The vast majority of beer consumers, even in this beer crazed town, do not follow the ins and outs of the beer industry. And these are the people that have driven double digit craft beer sales over the recent decades. A fancy rooftop bar in the Pearl, uh, which is a reference to Ten Barrel, will draw them in, while a dated brew pub in the Northeast, a reference to Alameda, uh, will get less attention because to them the beer is good in both places. The outrage Matt cites was from a vocal minority. How does a brewery keep abreast of the wider world of beer consumption when they are deep in the beer bubble by nature? Yeah, I think this is. I think it's. I, I think he just answers the question. It's just a, a really good point. Most of the beer is purchased by people who are not beer geeks, and if you f- yes. focus too much on beer geeks, you're you're going to have a, a, a skewed sense of who your customer is. True, but I'll say unless you're a tiny little brewery who only caters to beer geeks. Yeah. But if you if you're you know a brew pub or whatever, yeah, yeah go ahead. Well, no, I was going to say it's just so hard, right? Because you want to follow trends, you want to be up to date on on where the market is going. Uh, at the same time, you don't want to get, you know, drawn down a rabbit hole that, you know, will draw in like three super beer geeks. Right. Uh, and so, you know, it's it's a challenge. And this is actually a theme that's going to come up again and again in the in the pod specials with these interviews. You know, every brewery right now is trying to figure this out, uh, trying to figure out the market, trying to figure out uh, where they should go, trying to figure out if you're an established brewery, how you're going to how you're going to keep things fresh. And so Alameda's example been around for a long time, one of the early pubs in portland um you know 10 barrels new and hip and well-funded right uh and as we as we just mentioned you know has the capacity to brew tons of beers and can kind of see what sticks and what doesn't yeah uh so there you go there you go but yeah i don't no matter what you think about the ownership structure of 10 barrel you can't ignore uh what they're doing or treat them with contempt they're brewing really good beer that people want to drink agreed so there you go yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, okay. good. Y- you should read the next one. I'm tired. Okay. Uh, I'm going to have to answer it too, but that's okay. Kyle asks, in the festival episode, Brewers, so that was the Firestone Walker uh, Invitational right. uh, episode, uh, Brewers from far away kept saying that one of the things they came for was to see what people were doing out west, learn from each other, and so on. Uh, would you be able to say anything about their conclusions? That is, what stood out to them? Yeah. What was new? What were some of their own takeaways? It's a good question. It is a good question, and I did. T- we did talk. A, I got a little bit of tape of them reflecting a little bit on that. But um, I think one thing that we're starting to see, you know, this uh, flies in the face a little bit of our experience in Bend. Uh, but that's that. Uh, there's a lot of similarity happening. Right. So there, many people would say, well, you know. You guys drink more IPAs here, or the IPAs in Southern Oregon, Southern California are slightly different than they are out where we are. But um, you know, basically, uh, they were all uh, getting kind of the same, seeing the same kind of beer. I think the one thing that the folks from other parts of the world really liked to see when they came to California is that the California breweries, the good California breweries, especially the ones that have been around a while, you know, they were the ones who founded the industry. They have amazing. Uh, uh, quality standards. They know a lot about uh, all, all the all the kind of trends that that have gotten started in American craft brewing started in, in, on the West Coast. And so it's sort of like going to Munich. You know, you want to go to the place where all the stuff happened and all the all the best, all the greats uh, were from. And right. and so I think getting to go to California, uh, getting to go to the West Coast is is an opportunity to see where it all started, and how it all got going, and um, you know. It may not be directly, it may not say, you may not walk home with an idea for a new beer, but it just kind of steep yourself in a new culture. Yeah, I mean, I have this impression, I don't know how true it is, but that this is sort of where the cross-pollination happens, all these discussions, you know, talking shop amongst brewer, brewers. 
uh, starts, you know, you bring a few little ideas here and there. Maybe not just like, oh, this is the new beer, I'm going to go brew it. But just these little ideas about what brewers are doing and the kind of techniques they're using, the new hops they've got, that kind of stuff. I think this is sort of this pollination that happens. That's right. There is just getting together with some of the best brewers in the world uh, pollinates ideas more than trends, maybe. Yeah. An important thing. Okay. All right. Well, I think that's about all the time we have today. So a few words uh, going out. Please subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we may be on Stitcher now, so look for us there. Ooh, good job. Yeah, we may not be, but look for us there. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You can also find us on the X-Ray site as well. Yes, that's right. By rating us, uh, by uh, subscribing to us, it helps other listeners find the show. Three stars, please. Oh, I'm sorry. Five stars, please. See, I'm really, I'm really fried. No, no, that's good. That, that's a way to play with their minds. Please, three stars, and then they'll they'll want to they'll want to impress us. And that's right. I don't know. Okay, we'd love to hear from you, of course. So please send us your questions and comments. Oh, wait a minute. You didn't even put this down here, did you? We have a new Twitter tweet. Twitter. Oh, that's right. Tweet Twitter. Tweet. Yeah, we have a Twitter. Is that what you call? It? Oh, God, so old. A Twitter account. Twitter uh, we have, handle. We have a new Twitter. A new Twitter handle for the pod itself. It's the Beer Vana. At Beer Vana Pod. At Beer Vana Pod. Yeah, you're right. I didn't put that in there. Uh, but I'm that... It's that new. I'm that smart, though. My like mind... steel yeah, trap. Look at that. Uh, we started uh, using it to tweet our adventures in Bend. Yep. Uh, it exists. Beer Vana Pod. You can look through our old tweets. There's not very many. But it's a good way to communicate with us directly about the pod now. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a direct line of communication. So you can DM us through that. You can just comment or... Uh, on our pod, uh, on our the, our tweets there. Yeah, and Patrick's actually actually signed up for that, so he'll he'll get all the stuff. Yeah, too. the good stuff's mine. Just <laughs> just so you know, if uh, that makes you tweet more, I'm prepared to back it. <laughs> <laughs> but you can send us your questions, and comments to uh, Jeff at uh, You can visit the Beervanablog Facebook, beer, sorry, the Beervanablog Facebook page. Yes. Whew. Jeff blogs at Beervanablog, and he tweets at Beervana. And Patrick tweets at. Beer Vana Pod and <laughs> Beeronomics. All right. That's right. We have nothing to cheers. This is a very one of the very few times we don't do we didn't drink beer. Yeah. And we have nothing to cheers. So we'll like what? Fist bump? Fist bump. All right, fist All right. bump. <laughs> cheers, cheers, Patrick. <laughs>